Hey, this is David McCall. Are you guided by logic or emotion? Most of us will say our decision-making is driven by logic and reason. At least that's what I suppose, and that's what I said. Till I discovered, no, I'm primarily driven by emotion. Dr. Neil Martin joins me this week to help us understand how our subconscious mind actually does the overwhelming amount of decision-making for us because it feels right. I know, crazy. So how do we implement technology with our deeper human goals in mind so we can take control or at least influence our subconscious mind? Are we going to use technology that creates a dystopian future that feels good but ultimately leads to our demise? Or are we going to leverage these incredibly powerful tools to help us humans flourish? It's an excellent conversation. It's an excellent question. So sit back and enjoy Dr. Neil Martin on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. It is spectacularly hard for us human beings to change our behavior. Once we, once we have behavior hardwired in us, into our subconscious through habits or whatever, these programs we build for ourselves, it is really hard to change our behavior. So wh where do we go from there? <laughs> Why is it so hard? So we, there's all kinds of places you could start with us. Where, where should we go? Well, I, I think the, the way to kind of look at this that I find the easiest is to, is to look at the, the one universal law <clears throat> that applies to everything, light beams to your, how your brain works. Okay. And it's the law of least effort. So the light beam is going to is going to follow the most the shortest path possible, right? Um, and this is something that when you you think about the brain, and, and we've under we've learned so much in the last thirty years, uh, and it's just revolutionized how we understand it. The problem is that that this is what we're consciously aware of. <laughs> so right. so we're always going to kind of come back and forth to this idea of 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 what what we're consciously aware of versus what our brain's actually doing. Mm -hmm. Because what we're consciously aware of is like a tiny fraction of what's really going on inside of our mind. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there, it's funny, we, we think about, you know, the brain now in terms of computer metaphors. Well, when we were experimenting with electricity and learning about electricity, we used electricity as our brain metaphor. Before mm -hmm. that, we used pipes, we used gears. So even though it seems so um, compelling to think about our brain the way we think about computers, mm -hmm. Again, it's not a great metaphor, and we'll talk about, about why in a second. Um, so when we think about this idea of the law of least effort, our brain <clears throat> has roughly 86 billion neurons, and each neuron touches anywhere from 10 to 20,000 other neurons. So there are about as many neural connections in your brain as there are stars in our galaxy. Wow. Um, and so it's... The, the way the brain works is so complex, and so everything that we're doing is um, you know, a gross oversimplification. But the idea that the brain only weighs three pounds but takes 20% of the energy of the body gives you a sense of how uh, important it is that we think through this law of least effort in terms of what the brain is actually trying to do. Mm. Um, so when you, you think about the complexity of walking, you think about the complexity of uh, driving a car, that it would overwhelm the conscious brain. I mean, just overwhelms. 
we do it without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. We do it, you know, again, one of the, the examples I use a lot of times is, you know, where you're, you're driving, you can't remember the last 10 miles, right? But to really understand this and, and to, to get this idea of, of, of how the brain functions, 80 to 85% <clears throat> of everything we learn, we learn by the time we're five. 80 to 85% of what we're going to learn, we learn by the time we're five. Right. So think about if you could sp speak any language at the level of a five-year-old, you'd probably be pretty good to go, right? Yeah. You could go to China, you could go to you know, Brazil, whatever, right. and you would be able to get around pretty well. Right. You think about you know, how complex it is to run, or if I you know, go to a five-year-old and I say, you know, uh, go to your room, get your red jacket, um, get your book bag, come back downstairs. Right. Right? Now figure out how to program that. Right, so you know, we all thought we would be driving and you know self-driving cars by now. Right, promises were made, <laughs> you know, sure. investments were made, right. um, and they're going crap. This is really, really hard. Right, and so it's it's this idea that we are amazed at what we've done with the conscious brain. You know, we think about reason, we think about science, art, literature, all this kind of stuff. I mean, everything that we we do is obviously you know heavily conscious brain mm -hmm. involved. Um, and so we have this tendency to think that that's kind of like where all of these decisions are coming from, the prime driver. I want to change my behavior. I've made up my mind. I'll go change my behavior. Mm. But to really understand what's happening, I mean, think about, about learning to drive a car. I gave you a driver's manual. You study it. You get 100. Do you know how to drive a car? Okay, let's take this a step further. Okay. Okay, because when you think about this idea of you're learning how to drive, I want you to realize that your, your unconscious brain is <clears throat> nonverbal. Can't tell you what it's doing. It, it, it doesn't do numbers. It does calculations, but it doesn't do numbers. Mm -hmm. And so you, you think about driving, you know, like I drove over here and, and the fun, you know, down 75, cross 285, right. up 85 uh, traffic. I have one of my best friends is like 10 miles from here. I never see him because it's like, <laughs> it's like the other side of the planet. Well, thank you for coming to see us. Yeah. It, it is like the other side of the planet. Um, but all of this experience that we're getting, that's happening in our intuitive mind that, that we learn how to drive. We learn how much pressure to put on the gas pedal, how much pressure to put on the, on the wheel, you know, checking our mirrors, all this kind of stuff that we're, that we're learning to do. Well, how does that unconscious brain communicate to the conscious brain, right? All through feeling. Mm. So you take all of this billions of calculations the unconscious mind is doing to drive a fripping car, mm -hmm. and it all, it all comes down to yeah, that feels about right. That distance between me and this car feels about right. At mm -hmm. this, you know, remember what you learn, you know, it's like one car length for every right. 10 miles per hour. Right. Yeah, people are calculating it now. Right. So, so all of that gets translated into that feels about right. right. And then you get into the car with your daughter driving, and let's say that <clears throat> for her, what feels about right is maybe 10% closer. What do you feel? You not feel right. You feel it's not right. You feel anxiety. You yeah. feel anxious. So, so this is this is what it means to be a human being. Right. That all of this stuff is going on at this intuitive level, and it cannot express itself other than through this nonverbal communication, which is feeling. Mm. And so, this is why when we start thinking about changing behavior, things are so hard because we are under this illusion that our executive mind is in control. And when the executive mind makes a decision, and the metaphor works quite well. I mean, you can think about the CEO writing a memo and expecting things to change, mm. right? No. You know, that's, you know, because, and, and it's the same thing with technology. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, the kind of the rubric has, has been for years that we use less than 10% of the technology we buy. Mm. Um, and, and that's because, and, and I, I was, I was do, doing a lot of work when I was, I was like for about 10 years, I was, 
called the Telecom Futurist, which mm. was a great gig. Um, you know, you're looking at like, what are the implications of you know, <clears throat> you know the I, you know the right. internet? You know, what's right. the you know the implication of of being able to put all this you know all the traffic across one network? What's it you know of really getting rid of the you know all these tariffs and all these you know, like little tolls that we mm -hmm. pay? And um, you know, when when I was in that role. You're, you're really looking at the implications of things, right? And so I kind of got into lots of really interesting discussions to a lot of different people. And, you know, they would go, oh, well, this is really cool. You know, you can, you can put this GPS on trucks and then you can really control, you know, you, know, you can reduce your fuel cost and everything else and da-da-da-da-da. And then you go in a year later and you're looking at the dispatch guy who's still – Going, hey Phil, yeah, I need you to go across town and uh, you know drop that package off at you know, right. and I'm going like you have a computer with GPS, <clears throat> you can see everything. Unless I change how that job gets done, mm. unless that becomes the automatic way I do something, mm -hmm. right? Then all those investments are wasted. Mm. And a lot of these people did not renew those contracts a year later because mm. they're going like, well, we're not seeing these improvements. Mm -hmm. And so to understand that what you're really doing is you have to train the you know the intuitive mind that this is how the job gets done. And unless you spend that time on the training aspect of it, then you're not going to get any, any of the results. But we think, hey, I told you how to do this. I explained this to you. you know, here's the manual. Right. Why didn't you do it? Because we don't realize it's not the executive mind that we have to convince. So what's the difference between training and education? So that's a great question. And, and so when we think about about education, we're trying to we're trying to teach the mind. I mean, there's a lot of basics, you know, mm -hmm. uh, mathematics. You know, mm -hmm. the you know how to add, multiply. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I, I I was I was really good at math, <clears throat> and uh, I've I've been raising these these three kids for the last last uh, nine years. That uh, my my wife's uh, two nephews and and niece. And uh, their brains work different. Mm. And I'm like with my uh, my 13 year old. I'm like you know going over and going over, and he's like, you know, some of it he gets, and some of it like right. it's like pouring water into a sieve. Right. Smart kid, right? Very capable, right? But I'm like, but, I got to find. But not all brains perform right. Well, that's it. Right. It's like every single brain has to figure out on its own how it's going to understand this. Right. And that's the part that I'm going like. I'm not good at – I mean, I was teacher of the year teaching statistics at Georgia Tech. So right. I, I was like nobody had ever won teacher of the year right. teaching, so I took great pride <laughs> in that. And I'm like, I can teach any – no. Right. No, there is a lot of people right. I can't teach at all. Right. Um, but you, you come into this, to this area of, of education and what we think of as, <clears throat> as you know, you go to school, you sit in a desk, and we bring you, present you this information. This is a horrible way to teach. Mm -hmm. You will forget 78% of that information within days. 78% of the lecture that you sat through, you're going to forget within days. Yeah, it's a forgetting curve. It's, it's been established and it's, it's pernicious. And we know how to fix it, but we don't. Right. Right? So, you know, how we teach is horrible. Is training another word for drilling? And the reason why I ask that is when I was in the Army, like they, they taught you, we sat through a classroom literally on our M16 Right. How to disassemble, how to reassemble, right. how to clean it, how to form a site picture. Like they go through the educational pieces and they do that a couple times. And then you have to pass sort of that check. Then you go to the range. And for the next right. 
14 weeks, 18 weeks. It's a perfect Which example. doesn't sound like a, a lot of time, but when you're there six hours a day, and then when you get done, you're cleaning your weapon, inspecting it, and then checking your buddy's weapon and going through all of this, same through thing through airborne. So you go through an education process, then you drill. And right. it starts off with learning right. how to salute, learning how to march, learning how, like all of these things to establish your, I think, your brain and a cadence. And we didn't rehearse this. I'm just, I'm just trying to apply a real world application. So I guess that's training, but I would also think of it as drilling. Like I just got to do these drills a thousand times. Well, okay. So, so yeah, it's a perfect, it's a perfect example. Okay. Because I can take somebody and reliably turn them into a marksman. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm 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 not good at it. I'm not doesn't matter. Right. I can rely because and this is training. Mm -hmm. So when you think about about education, for me, I mean I I think about it more in terms of really creating this this conscious level information of which I am aware, mm -hmm. right? That helps me, you know, like you know, where is South America? Yeah, I mean, how do I, you know, how do you read a manual? Right. You know, it's funny, like kids today that that don't know how to address an envelope. Right. Right. We kind of go, well, what it's crazy. Right. Yeah. And you think, well, they never did it, right? right. Everything's, you know, email, snail mail is, yeah. you know, even the concepts are 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 so foreign to these guys. Um, to to think about it, it really is about this idea that that you're creating neural networks inside your unconscious mind that can perform these things automatically without any conscious level intervention. Right. So I don't, you know, I may I may think, you know, I want to drive across town to, you know, pick up a pizza, whatever, but once I'm doing that, it's my unconscious brain that's really doing it. Now, I'm, I might be consciously aware of some tiny percentage sure. of all the inputs that my unconscious brain is processing. <clears throat> and again, you, you know, to think about this, your cerebellum, the, the, your old brain, um, has half of those neurons. Half of, the, half of the 86 billion neurons are in this very tight area. Mm. And, and, and I haven't seen support for this, but it's a, it's a, it's an idea I came up with a long time. And I'm sure that's something out there that, that people have done, but you just think about the, you know, the idea of the prefrontal cortex is here mm -hmm. and you know, you're pulling stuff from all over your brain and, and assembling it there. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like, you know, quick IQ tests, like how many numbers can you remember? You know, can you rotate a three-dimensional uh, object in space? You know, mm -hmm. all these kinds of things about being able to hold that in conscious awareness and be able to do these things with it. But the unconscious brain is, again, processing so much more than the conscious brain can be aware of. Mm -hmm. And so building these, these networks that says, you know, this is how I hold a gun. This is how I aim. This mm -hmm. is how – now, this is, this is that difference between education and training. I can, I can give you the manual. I can walk you through it. I can show you a video. But when you get up and move, when you get up and do this and this and this and this, when I physically touch it, when I, you know, I, you know, I smell the cordite, when mm -hmm. I, you know, I feel the I, – I, I, I feel Recoil the, the recoil, right. right. Um, I hear, you know, the, the, the percussion, you know, I'm not, there's a, a lot of, uh, practice now of, of using, um, uh, you know, dry fire mm. where you have like a, a laser mm -hmm. because people are, are, they learn to anticipate the right. recoil and it affects their aim. Right. And you get all these reps where without the recoil. Right. And so anyway, but right. the whole idea is that, that that's the part of your brain that's operating very, very fast. And again, this is what. You know, so so to kind of bring the the, the sort of these two different lines of thought. So so the guy that I always go back to is um, Damasio, Antonio Damasio, who wrote Descartes' Error, and this is the, called, he wrote what Descartes' Error. Descartes' Error. <clears throat> okay. So it's a great book, and it was, it was the one that really I think launched the revolution, which is this idea that we have it all wrong, that the brain's really you know that the the unconscious part of the brain is really the the primary driver, and that um, and that the conscious brain is is. 
it's like the, the role of the conscious brain is almost to post hoc rationalize what the unconscious brain has come up with. Mm. You know, oh, I want that car. And the unconscious, you know, and the conscious brain is going, well, you know, it's really well made and it's, right. you, know, dun, dun, you know, it's, right. you know, and, and you do whatever the, you know, whatever the rationalization is. Um, how, how long has this been out, do you think? Is this a 40-year, 50-year, 20-year? Descartes' the, era came out in 1994. Okay, so pretty recent, 30 yeah. years. And, and, I've, and I've met, I've, I've met Demacio. And, and again, I, you know, I, I recommend people, you know, he's got, he's got, a, lot of, got a lot of videos out there. Mm -hmm. But what he really talks about, which I find, it's just so human, and it's important for us to really understand this is what being mm -hmm. human is. <clears throat> you know, and, and I'm guilty of this as anybody. Of thinking that well, my sure body's human. <laughs> yeah, my my body's job is just to carry my brain around. Right. Yeah. So my wife's a chiropractor, and she said she thinks she thinks that we got together just you know. God, so said, somebody she, needs to tell you you have a body. That's right. <laughs> you, know, you you have to. She pay needs attention. a living laboratory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so you know it, it, and it is this idea that you know your body evolved a brain. Your brain did not evolve a body. Mm. You know, the, the brain evolved mm -hmm. after, you know, all of the, you know, the, right. the, the, you know, the, the bipedal, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. You know, when we think about the, you know, think about like the difference between us and Neanderthals. Neanderthals right. had amazing brains and right. could do amazing things, but they didn't have the big prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. right? So the, you know, as we, as we go th think through this idea then that when we start talking about changing behavior, <clears throat> the first thing you have to understand is that behavior is not under conscious control most of the time. You know, and, and, and that idea is so counterintuitive to us, right? Um, but it's what allows us to, to operate in this incredibly complex world. I mean, think about, you know, your vast experiences and, and, and how you would go into a situation, right? And it's not like you could just read the book and know how to set up a data center, right? right? It's not like, oh, you know, now, I'm great at explaining the difference between network attached, st right. attached storage and storage area networks, right. and I can go through all of this kind of stuff. Like, I, can right. t I could probably tell you how to build a nuclear bomb, right. right? I haven't done it. Right. This is the wide open receiver, and the ball goes through his hands. Because at that point, he shifts into, into conscious mode, mode. instead of catch He's mode. He's in yeah. conscious mode. Yeah. So your conscious brain, and, and I have this example in the book, and I've had people yell at me because they tried to I said, like, run down a flight of stairs. Now look down. Which, to, which book is this? Uh, the Habit book. Okay. Um, and that, you know, you, you run down a flight of stairs and then try to consciously place your feet. You know, and I've had people who fall, fell down a flight of stairs trying to do this, so you can't do it, right? right. You're, and, and this is the whole point where I talk about the, the idea of, of the prefrontal cortex, how much, how much more distance all of these neural transmissions have to be. You have to bring it up, and then you have to, you know, you have to kind of manipulate this in your conscious mind. And, and to your point, exactly. I mean, if you do that on a battlefield, you're dead. Right. Um, if you do that and, um, you know, driving. If you do that, you know, so many different things. And and the key is to know, like, like when, you know, it's not like the conscious brain's not there, and it's not like it doesn't have an important role. Right. And this is what we kind of go from Damasio to Kahneman. And, to, you know, really it was Kahneman and Tversky, but Tversky you know, passed away before um, Thinking Fast and Slow came out. Um, but it's it's the same kind of, of an idea that they were, they were really dealing with it, and they were psychologists. And this is really kind of the root of behavioral economics, is that we're not rational, that we make decisions that you know are not. And, and kind of the the reason why the economists picked up on this much more so than the marketers was that the 
the foundation of microeconomics was uh, homo economicus, you know, the, the rational man. You mm -hmm. know, that they assumed that we were rational beings and we're making, you know, we're trying to optimize or maximize our mm -hmm. outcomes. And the reality is, no. I mean, that, that, that that's something, I mean, rationality is something that's, that's being morphed onto this irrational, I, I don't like the word irrational. Why do they think that? I, what's the, I haven't read the book. Why do they think, why would these authors um, think that we're not either striving for and accomplishing some level of rationality or we're, you know, we call ourselves rational, but it's just irrationality with a new... Right. So they've kind of gone through, and again, this is not my, this isn't the way I I'm just curious. It. Yeah, right, and you're... right. But, but the, what, what they've done is they've, they've kind of shown all these cognitive biases. Okay. So like a recency bias. So like something you've just seen is much more salient to you than something you haven't seen. Okay. Um, you know, there's a, a thing about like if, if <laughs> they did this, ex an interesting experiment at Duke, um, we're trying to get basketball tickets, right? So the kids, you know, can just go into a lottery to get their, to get mm -hmm. the tickets to the, to the basketball season. And so they, they, they went to the kids who had been in the lottery and hadn't gotten tickets. And they said, how much would you pay for tickets? And then they went to the kids who had won the lottery and said, how much would you sell the tickets for? Mm -hmm. And so like the kids who hadn't got it, would, you know, maybe, I don't know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And the you know, kids who had the tickets would say like 1,200 bucks right. or 1,500 bucks, right? And so the mere fact of ownership distorts your perception, right? Oh, I think my house is worth, you know, $500,000. Right. Right. Know. My kid's not ugly or whatever. Right. right. Um, but, and there's a whole list of these cognitive biases. Okay. But the, the point here is that, and, and again, it's this essential place where your brain went. Right. That, you know, we think about like, you know, you know, going back to the Greeks, you know, you know, why do we think about the Greeks and not people before the Greeks? Um, Were the Greeks that much smarter than anybody else? I don't, no, obviously not, um, because the Greeks didn't build the pyramids. The Greeks didn't build so many institutions, or, or, or just, like we're discovering from satellite imagery, there's civilizations 300 yards off the coast of Italy that obviously were something, some pattern. Right that we have no idea, but they are certainly in, because we're all descendants of this Greek is a, this thought. Is, this is actually a, a trick question. Okay. <laughs> but we're descendants of Greek philosophy in right. the West. But the reason why is because they're the first society to write down vowels. Yeah, to codify it. Oh, vowels, okay, well, See, I would before say codify that, But before that, the vowels, again, vowels are used to position the mouth for the next consonant. Right. Okay. So when they were, you know, we go back to you know the Sumerian. It's like a bad to, break for vowels. Right. Well, and it, but but so people weren't writing them down. So right. so whatever their culture was before that, we just we just couldn't really figure out what it was at that level where we can go in and read Greek. Right. You can't just read the languages that came before because there was a lot of ambiguity. Right. Okay. And so yeah, so this is a very yeah. So when we think about the power of that ability to communicate, you know, where we can go in and read, you know, the Greek plays, we right. can read Greek history. Uh, Greek philosophy um, and the impact that that had on our thinking. Right. But, and again, yeah, we can we can take that a lot of different directions. Right. But but getting back to this idea about why behavior is so hard to change is because where you kind of go, well, we're, you know, we're you know, don't, aren't we striving to be reasonable? Aren't we? No, we're not. And getting back to before that, the idea of the law of least effort mm. to think rationally, to really think about something, is effortful. Mm. So your body, your brain's using 20% of your body's energy. Well, if I'm consciously thinking, then that ups the energy load. And you know, to really go through a day where you had to consciously think about a lot of different things. Um, you know, as I, my, with my daughter, you know, 
throughout her life, when she would ask me a question, I would always, you know, because I, I have like this vast store of useless information in my head. It's like, what do you want the short version or long version? Nobody ever asks for the long version. I know. That's why I don't ask them anymore. I just give yeah. it to them. Yeah. What is the <laughs> shortest bit of information? It's like, you know, how many, how many, you know, executives just kind of rely on the executive summary? That's my level of understanding, right? Because right. I got other, I got other things to look at. Right. And and this idea of, um, you know, really thinking through kind of structuring, you know, our culture, our society, you know, where we really developed the intellectual class, right? Mm -hmm. That's a recent thing. Mm. That's a new thing. You know, this idea that we'll be college professors and we'll sit in, you know, ivory towers and we'll, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And uh, uh, it, it, and, it, you know, if you look at, like, you were talking earlier about the things that we built, mm -hmm. math wasn't used in, in um, construction until after the 1850s. What? Yeah. They would, you know, all of, think about, you know, Hagia Sophia. Think about, you know, the aqueducts. Think about the Colosseum. Mm. You know, they, they just they just kind of threw their thumb were, up. Yeah, and, they were right. I mean, this is like people learning and handing down. You know, this is how to do an art. You know, an <clears throat> this is how to do, and so you know, this is. I mean, again, we think about Pythagoras, and you know, obviously mm -hmm. there were certain levels of math, but but not the way we think about using math to solve to solve these problems. You mm -hmm. know, algebra, whatever. But when when we think about changing our behavior, we have this assumption, this bias that that we are consciously controlling what we do, right? Now, did you consciously fall in love with your wife? Did you have all the women that you ever met, right? You know, what was it that made you- I feel you... like I'm on, I'm under pressure to answer that question a certain way because she may listen to this. Uh, y yes. No. Maybe. Right. right. I, I mean, but the whole thing is like, you know, you're, you're, you're entering into this situation where you're, you know, it's like a large part of your brain is is wired to read facial expressions, mm -hmm. right? So like part of the COVID um, uh, consequences, you know, from wearing masks is kids not learning how to read faces. Mm. You know, going to school and having the teacher's mouth covered. Well, I can't learn how to articulate unless I can see how your mouth is moving as you make sounds, you right. know. Um, but it's also just the most human thing in the world is to be able to read facial expressions, uh, you know. When I'm doing this all day, yeah. What am I not learning? Yeah. I'm not learning how to how to you know read body language. I'm not learning how to, you know all this stuff that I pick up on that that really influences what I'm doing. And I'm working with a lot of companies now. And they keep well, let's do this over Zoom. And I'm going, sure. I mean, I'll do it. Right. Won't work. Right. See, this is kind of where where this all of this behavior change starts morphing into the AI stuff and management and everything else because. You know, if you know, Internet of Things, you know, I'm getting so much data, I can't understand it. It's mm -hmm. overwhelming. My conscious brain can't figure it out, mm. right? So we're going to become dependent on AI and dependent on these things. But you can't query the AI. I mean, I did old AI. I did mm -hmm. the original where it's kind of expert systems where, you know, you get experts and you talk to them about, you know, like, what's the probability of this and this and this? And you kind of write the algorithm and then and then you feed it data right. as long as you got the outcome. And you got to go, oh, and then, you, and then you're basically just changing the parameters, right? Right. And uh, but the new AI is <clears throat> here's a lot of data, mm. but as long as you have an outcome, that's what people don't understand. You have to have an you know they have to have something where they can draw a conclusion about something. What would be an example of that? Like here's a lot of data, and um, here are medical records of uh, a million women. Okay. And uh, you know, and 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 again, this is something a lot of moral ethical issues with this. Mm. You know, the AI might say, uh, you know, this woman should have a prophylactic um, uh, mastectomy. Mm -hmm. And why? Can't tell you. 
but it's not linear pattern recognition, right? I'm just looking at millions of data points and it may right. be, you know, there may be a genetic component, there may be a behavioral component, there may be whatever. Right. But I just know I've looked at this much data, these women are getting, are getting breast cancer and therefore I'm making this recommendation. Right. So you think about you're the doctor now and you're kind of going, do I trust that? Right. You know, and then you could really see the ethical implications going forward where, well, you didn't do that and she got cancer, so we're gonna we're gonna you know, take your medical license away. Or the flip side is, you know, you do it and you never know if she would have or would not have, have, have developed cancer. But this is the same thing with you know, closing a store. I mean, you know, I mean there are a, a million different kinds of examples. So, so we use AI for example, there's probably not a modern airliner, we're going to come back to airliners in a minute, but there's probably not a modern airliner today, I can't think of one, that has any modern glass or flight controls in it that doesn't use um, automated tools, maybe not AI, but automated tools mm -hmm. to do prediction, to adjust for wind shear, to, they can literally, legal or illegal, take off and land the plane, they can taxi it, they can, it's essentially autonomous. Those pilots, those systems trust sometimes too much but they trust that and it you know i've you fly all the time i fly all the time and i don't even think about that i probably have more trust in my pilots than i do in the bus driver um so where's the where is the applications that these tools can can make these predictive analytics and do things really well as opposed to um you know recommend some surgery or some other thing i'm i well i think the big issue is that this is where we are. This is the cusp of where we are. Okay. Where how do I as a doctor, how do I as a manager, how do I as a tech person, how do I use the AI? You know, and, and getting back to the idea of it has to feel right. I have to get to the point where I've used it enough that this feels right. So you get to the Boeing issue. Yeah. And the whole thing was a business decision. So, so tell people what the Boeing issue is by right. way so, of explanation. And again, documentary on Netflix is excellent. But it was just this idea that, that Boeing had merged uh, you know, with McDonnell Douglas. A lot of their culture came over. Right. So again, culture, the idea of, right. of uh, you know, in the Boeing culture that, that if a line person could, could stop the line and say, hey, there's a problem here. Right. Um, and the... Uh, the McDonnell Douglas, again, just kind of what's in the documentary, I don't have personal knowledge, but the the idea was that they were going to, they didn't want to create a brand new plane because it was be very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to modify an older plane. And so they, they were basically putting larger engines on it, which changed the center um, of gravity. Mm -hmm. You know, so there was a, there was a, a tendency for these planes to, to, to have the nose rise. This is the Boeing Max. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, um, but the big thing was <clears throat> that they were selling this as um, like just an upgrade, not a new plane. Right. So you don't have to train your pilots. Right. So getting back to training. Right. Versus education. Right. And so that made these planes much more affordable because mm. you don't have to retrain your pilots. Right. Well, but because of that glitch, they had created the solution was one sensor. <laughs> right that would, when this occurred, would um, you know, take control of the plane and, and to bring the nose down. Well, the pilots weren't trained on that. Mm -hmm. And so they were trying to do the exact opposite of what the plane was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And um, again, this is a, you know, over, overly simplified version <clears throat> from, from watching this a, you know, a, month or, a month or two ago. Um, but the idea here is that, that I have to be trained 
to work with whatever the information system is. Mm-hmm. The thing was, somebody was when I was talking to somebody, they said, "Well, they should have trusted the system." And I said, "But they weren't even told that this was in there. That's right. part of the thing. Like these pilots, many of them had a spectacular amount of." experience on the frame before this, which was the 737, probably the single most popular distributed plane on earth, a remarkable safe track record. It's an amazing plane. But think about that. Think about all of my experience. And that's, that's telling me this is what feels right. Right. And when I get in that moment, it's what feels right. And it's not like, you know, there was a, gosh, there's a, a book my dad had, I think it's called The Left Seat, but it was it was an interesting, it was a, you know, it was a novel about pilots and this pilot had, um, you know, there'd been a bad accident and, and he had been on the kind of the investigation and figured out that like in this situation, you're supposed to do this with the flaps instead of that. Mm-hmm. And, and they've written this policy. And so he, he <clears> actually <throat> was, was piloting a plane and had, had crashed based on that kind of same situation. And he couldn't flag him because he couldn't remember what he did. He couldn't <clears> remember <throat> if he did this with the flaps or that with the flaps, you know, again, right. you know, before black boxes and everything right. else. And, and that's this whole idea of, we have this illusion that our conscious brain is remembering these things and thinking about these, making these decisions. But the reality is we're, we're feeling this is the right thing to do. And then we post hoc rationalize that. Mm. And so, you know, when like, yeah, we just talked about, about weight earlier. So I'm, I'm doing fasting. I'm doing every other day fasting. Mm-hmm. And so my, and from my experience, when I start eating, I get cued to eat, right? I mean, so it's like, if I don't eat, it's like this for me, limited mm-hmm. cognitive abilities. I don't eat. It's very easy. Right. I'm not eating today. <laughs> right. So, yeah, you, know, you know, go to a party. No, I'm not eating today. Right. You know, versus oh, well, you know, because it's like we can we can always rationalize, and that's what, you know when you talk about you know you know, ra- you know rational thought. You know, it's ratio it comes from ratio it comes from this idea of like thinking like probabilistically, right? right? But it's it's this idea that you know you're in this situation, you want to do something. And, you know, I was like, like, you know, this cartoon of the little, you know, the angel and the devil on your shoulders. I mean, you can rationalize whatever you, there's nothing. And and I, I, you know, kind of a, you know, to think about a suicide bomber, Mm -hmm. right? How do you rationalize that? Right. You can, if you can rationalize that, you can rationalize anything. Right. And that's the part that is so hard for us to understand as human beings, that the reason why change is so hard is because we're not really willing to do the things to change the underlying core of this. And, and, and this gets into, you know, it's, it's an idea that I've been playing with for a while, but to really understand how basic and fundamental this is. And you, know, we, you talked earlier about, oh, well, this guy's an atheist and you mm-hmm. know, I'm a person of faith and mm-hmm. et cetera. I want you to think back about <clears throat> how much our culture is shaped by this idea of you know, Judeo-Christian framework, which is we're all God's children, mm-hmm. right? Now, it's, when you travel a lot, as we do internationally, mm-hmm. you go to every other country in the world and it's like, wow, right? right? I mean, it's like the caste system in India. Right. Still there, right? Right. It feels right to this person to treat this person in this way, right. which we find repellent. Our attitudes don't control our behavior. Our behavior shapes our attitudes. Okay. We did not have a race theory to justify slavery. Right. Um, slavery was. You know, we didn't have the ability to enslave people from far away. Right. Until you know fairly recently. Right. And before you just slaved the the tribe beside you. Right. Right. I mean that's that's kind of where most slavery. Right. I mean Slavs were because they were the ones who were enslaved right. by all these other you know people around them. Right. And so when when the 
you know, when the Atlantic trade, you know, slave trade was happening and we started, you know, importing slaves. And again, like like 1% of, of, of people in the South owned slaves. So vast majority of people did not. But you don't really see a racial theory coming out until 1800s, mm-hmm. right? And that is, is, a, is an, an, an attempt to rationalize doing something you know is wrong and immoral. Right. Because if you look at the Bible, if you look at you know, the Declaration of Independence, if you look at the Constitution, every single thing that is, is in your brain right. says this is wrong. Right. Right. So how do I justify it? Well, I have to come up with this bizarre idea right. that somehow you are a different kind of person that right. you don't get these rights. Right. And and this is this is always it's 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 funny. One of the people I, I interviewed, uh, Wendy Wood, um, who was at Duke, uh, who had um, she was a psychologist and she had been studying um, attitudes and attention stuff. And it's funny, she said she was at one of these conferences and when, you know, some, some young person, some student came up to her and said, well, why are you studying that? It doesn't really predict behavior. And that's what we see. Intent, what, what I intend to do, what my attitudes are, don't, don't really predict what I'm going to do. It's like customer satisfaction doesn't predict what I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. And this is what, again, people don't understand this. It's, 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 it's the opposite way around. I do something and then I rationalize it and I create an attitude and an intention based on, on this rationalization of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And if I, don't, if I don't have the ability to go in and go deep into my mind and, and into my, my intuitive mind to really understand what are the roots of that, what causes that. And, and it can be something, you know, you were talking about the, the military experience and you know, why we have PTSD. Well, you know, PTSD comes from being in a situation where the emotional message from your intuitive mind is at 11, right? I mean, this is, the mo- this is life and death. This is the most important thing. And that association might be to something subtle. It might be a smell, mm-hmm. right? It might be a sound, right? The, the, you know, the distant whistle. Mm-hmm. And you begin to make that association that's, that's has nothing to do with what your conscious brain is doing. And it's 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 an it's an imperative. This is what you must do, mm. and that becomes hardwired. One of my uh, one of my best friends was um, uh, during during 11 He was he worked in the South Tower, and he was late that day. It's mm. funny, so he couldn't find his car keys. And some place they'd never his keys. Right. They'd never not car keys, but his keys. Right. And <clears throat> and there's a we came to visit him at that that Christmas, and he had the still had the the recording on his voicemail. Um, of him coming out of the subway and calling his, calling, leaving a message for his wife, saying that you know, um, you know the uh, yeah the the something's going in the North Tower, um, South Tower is okay. I'm just gonna go in and get get some papers, and then you hear the second plane crash, mm. right? But he was in the dust cloud, and like for the next two years, I mean, the smell of that mm. could trigger a panic attack, mm-hmm. and you know. This is this is again the the primacy of that part of your brain that kept us alive for you know millions of years Millennium, before yeah. we d- developed a you know a, a prefrontal cortex before we developed this idea of the executive mind, right. um, and it's it's the you know it's the the part of 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 this is when you try to distance yourself from that it's like it's like distancing yourself from your body, mm-hmm. right like like when you don't when you're not out moving I'm like these kids. That you know during COVID, you know where we stop people from going outside, right? right? Like the safest place for them to be. You know, right. stop them from getting vitamin D from the sun. We stop right. them from you know. It's just, I mean, it's like we're almost doing the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Right. Um, but it it's the it's the idea that, and there's a lot of really fascinating research about this. We can't learn unless we're moving. 
Right. We can't learn unless we're exercising. We can't unless we're, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing these neurotransmitters online. Why is that? Well, because again, the body evolved the brain. The brain didn't evolve the body. Mm. The brain is attached to the body. It's getting all these messages, all these signals. So you know, going back to your original question, and this is, I, I think it's so salient. It's like, I can read, you and I are good at, a, you know, we're, we're like a top, you know, 5% of people who can read a piece of paper quickly, digest it, understand it, remember it well, communicate it to other people, right? Useless skill for the vast right. majority of human life. <laughs> Right? Right. Who cares? Um, but it gives us a distorted perception of reality. And it's like, you know, when you think about what's real is I don't know how to shoot the gun until I shoot the gun. Reading mm -hmm. a book about shooting a gun doesn't teach me how to shoot. You know, I don't know how to drive a truck reading a book about driving a truck. Right. Not until this part of my brain has gone through all of this stuff, translated all of those millions of feedbacks into this neural network that allows me to quickly automatically do the right thing Right, with your big pickup truck. Right. I mean, most people you know, would just be so intimidated, they, they couldn't even think about that. But the human brain can learn it. Right. But it takes time, and it takes time with this experience, and it's your physical body going through and doing it. That's real, right. that's training. Right. Learning, I understand <clears throat> and can communicate this, but not until I go out there and do something. There's a, uh, this, this book uh, called The Case Against Education. I don't remember the author's name, but um, there's an economist up, up, up in Virginia who, uh, you know, university professor, mm -hmm. but he said the, you know, that the, the value of an education, the value of a college degree, 80% of the value of a college degree is simply communicating to the marketplace that you're relatively bright, you're relatively conscientious, and you're relatively compliant. Mm. They don't care what you learn. Right. They don't care how much, you know, they don't care what, you know, if, if you learn philosophy or history or right. now, if you're a, if you're an accountant, they care. Right. Right? Right. You, know, you know, if you're a lawyer, they care. If you're a doc, you know, right. there are certain things. But if you think about, like, you know, m to become a doctor, I mean, how much time is spent in the training part right. versus in the education part? Right. And and you know, somebody coming out without the training part <clears throat> is probably more dangerous than than helpful. Right. So I think that that's that's why I keep coming back. I'm trying to, you know, this is. What I'm trying to articulate to the world in general is to really understand we need much more training, much less education. We really need to know how to do things. And you know, we have this, this romantic idea about education and we think about you know, these associations between you know, getting a college degree and having all these kind of you know, uh, horizon opening. And, and my age, your age, I mean, you know, getting a college degree, I mean, there, there was so much growth. And it's like, you know, we just need guys who can come in there. We need gals right. who can come in and manage this kind of complexity. Right. Um, we have seven million open jobs in this country of people who need to, who go out and physically do things. Yeah, uh, the CEO of Colonial Pipeline was testifying in front of Congress after they had been uh, the ransomware, and you know us in the Southeast weren't getting oil. Right, and um, he said something that I just don't think people paid attention to because they're all focused on the ransomware part of it. He said we are dependent on computers to run the pipeline because the people who know how to fix the pipes are retired or dead. Right. The way I look at behavior and the way I look at the, at the unconscious mind is it's like a gyroscope, right? So what keeps a missile online? What keeps a plane online? It's the right. gyroscope. You create right. this, this inertia and if you go off, you know, the, the gyroscope is saying you're a little bit off and, and, right. and it pulls Correct. you back on. Right. That's what a habit does, right? right? It's like, it's like eh, you know, I, you may change my behavior once, but I'm gonna go back to that. And the, right. and the more that that inertia forms, right, the harder it is for me 
to change my path, right. to change what I'm doing. And so we got, you know, we had these ideas that worked in our era that, that we told our kids, you know, you know, get a college education, right? I remember when my Jewish, I, I, I grew up in, a, in, in Virginia. I didn't, have, didn't really know any Jewish people. And I moved to Milwaukee. I had all, like all of a sudden all these Jewish friends. And I went, mm-hmm. went to one of my friend's house for lunch. It's right across the street from the school. We could do that. We had more, much more freedom in Milwaukee than I did right. in Richmond. Um, <laughs> and uh, and his grandmother was there. And she was like, you know, this little Jewish grandmother. And she goes, you know, get your education. It's the one thing they can't take away from you. Right. And uh, so it's this, this mentality that we create, these messages that we send out. And I feel like we just haven't been sending good messages. I don't think we've, I think that we've, we've really failed to, to get people to understand, to get back to what your point was earlier about driving, that, that rather than prepare our kids for the world, we got to the point where we want to protect them from the world. Mm. The idea is that if there is the faintest path, right, that seems less scary, and you're going to automatically going to go down what that path is. Mm-hmm. And what we ha- what we have to understand is that <clears throat> we're not when we think about education versus training, we think about, oh, well, I just go, you know, send you to college and you'll be set up for this good job. And for, you know, some people that works out really well. Um, but for a lot of other people, they would be much more successful, you know, doing a lot of other things. And I think that we're going to see a massive shift away from college um, to more certifications. Right. Like it's, it's such a luxury to say, I'm going to take four years. Talked to got one of our local colleges, and he said twenty two percent of kids are graduating in four years, and the average is six. Right? How much money is that costing? How much time is that costing? I mean, you're taking me, six. Took years. me ten. I had to do it in my forties. But let me ask you this: I there's a lot of information there. What I am curious, I got a a, a comment, and then I guess a, a question. Our premise was, how do we get? How do we change behavior? When you're talking about fasting, my sister recently challenged me, and she's lost about 95 pounds. And one of the things that she did was she took data or an app Mm -hmm. because she wanted to leverage data and technology to help her change behavior. And I forget which one it was, but it tracks everything you eat is the idea. I don't remember the name. But she tracks. And this has Mm -hmm. been going on for about a year and a half, two years now. She was shocked where she thought, I'm running at about a 1,500, 1,800 calorie day. Oh, no, you weren't. You were running at a, at a day that looked like this in calories, significantly more than that. Maybe not 5,000, but more than what she thought. Not by a little, but several hundred calories. One, two, this is your, of those calories, this is your sugar input. This is your sodium input. Like, here's the things. So even after you've lost 80 or 90 pounds, you still don't feel very good right. because you've got all of this stuff and your sleep's not better and you've got these aches and pains. And so a whole nother journey. But it, so that was the first, that was the um, end of that first year. She had lost all this weight and she had this feedback. And so she's now since changed a lot of things and she uses technology to help her keep track change behavior, motivator, keep her accountable. Her app is with a small group of people that she subscribes with and they hold each other. So the technology is sort of bridging this gap to help her change her behavior. So that's a great use, I think, of data and tech to help people change. And then you said something, I'll let you respond, but you said something in one of your talks I thought was amazing. In fact, I wrote it down here. It said, if you're one step ahead, you're a genius. 
If you're two steps ahead, you're a madman. I love to see when technology comes along to help convert madmen or women into genius or help us to shape and change behavior. We've talked a lot today about our reptile brain that's evolved over all of this time and how um, logic and emotion, the conscious and the subconscious is there hope for us, do you think, that we can lever it be purposeful, some of us anyway, to use these tools um, to basically be Tom Landry? I remember Tom Landry once saying, I make men do what they don't want to do so they can become who they want to become. So how do we leverage this stuff with the data that we've gathered that says, look, this is the this is the obstacle we're against. Our brain is arguing against us that if we don't acknowledge it and then leverage these things, um, we're not going to make significant change. Okay, so so a great question, and 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 I think to to start off with your sister and talk 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 off, start off with these apps, and I think it's a great. This is the I, I think an ideal, beautiful philosophical question for kind of who we are, and to understand what it means to be a human being, because. If I can, if I can take a piece of data and understand it in a way that I get an emotional reaction, right? If I look at, you know, if I just looked at my blood pressure and I don't know what that means, right? Who cares? But if I know, it's like, oh my god, like you know, I could have a heart attack, right? Right. So when you translate the information into emotion. That's how you're communicating back and forth between your unconscious and your conscious brains, between your intuitive and your executive minds. And, and that to me is, is, is kind of like really what we're talking about is, is how do I integrate this? How do I – there are times there – are, there are things that my very powerful intuitive mind is really bad at. Right. And there are things that my exec, limited executive mind is really good at. And it really is about dividing things up correctly. Well, you made me laugh when you talked about emotion, like what's the more powerful decision, logic or emotion? And I'm, of course, like logic, logic, logic. And you gave an example in one of your conversations. And I got thinking about this. When I We were in a circumstance because of our origin story without boring everybody the details. It wasn't really into my 40s, at least I didn't believe, that I could really start saving, make a significant dent into saving and in trying to invest and doing stuff like that. Real or, or imagined, that's when we really began doing it. And I thought I was tracking along pretty good. And so whatever that percentage was, it was a, it was a modest percent, but it was, uh, you know, company matching my 401k, doing these other things. And, and it left me freedom to get that toy, do this vacation, do right. these other things. I loved it. Then I got this tool. One day, my different, uh, whoever I was using, my technology folks I was using that was managing all this stuff, gave me the tool that was, let's run out what you're doing, mm -hmm. what the cost of living will be for you at the way that you want to live at some point in the future by probably the most modest of estimates, uh, or I'm sorry, optimistic of estimates, not reality. At your current rate, this, it was, this is what it looks like. And I was like, man, I'm doing great. And my dude said, no, you're reading that upside down. <laughs> You're so off, like it's like it's, and how much you know you and I. I love our government. I think we're the best on earth. Having said that, you know you really want to trust them. Like like this this um, safety net's going to be available, and this thing's going to work that way. And here are these other things. And I was like, huh? 
And so I had to radically work through disbelief and emotional, then changing budgets, which were still adjusting. This is probably seven or eight years ago, mm-hmm. uh, before big 401k hits of, um, actually, it was right after the 401k hit of 2008. So, um, you know, all these things that are going on in the world, but that tool helped me to see if these are the indicators and these are the inputs and we run it to its conclusion because you're making all these decisions off of emotion i don't have a i don't uh i don't care i'm just going to tell you what this is saying right well what if i slide it this way okay you don't get you're the one human being who doesn't get any of these dread diseases right that even though you're carrying an extra 80 pounds it's not going to affect your joints that even all these things is going to work just great you're still this percent short so of course, like all logical people, I deleted the app. <laughs> but uh, which is why I'm on my fifth doctorate because they all keep telling me to sleep better and consume less caffeine and move more. Not true, not true. But it is. It was a reality check for me, and it was, I was very emotional in the beginning. But right. anyway, but that tool, those tools, have helped me as hard as they are to to really make then some pretty direct. Um, changes and then continuously tuning. Now this presumes that you have the ability, you know, you have the the margin to save and do those other things. That aside, assuming that's our premise, um that's that's a example of where I think these apps can help human beings flourish. Well, okay, but but that's the whole point that you know, when we think about like how we have to prepare ourselves to do any kind of change. Right? So, to be confronted with something which is very unpleasant. Mhm. Right. So if you think about the idea of feedback, I have, I have you know, reinforcing feedback, which makes a behavior more likely to occur in the future. I have punishing feedback, which makes a behavior less likely to occur in the future. Mm-hmm. And so when you start looking at um, you know, a diet you know, where you feel like I'm deprived. So there's, it's important to understand there's positive and negative reinforcement. There's positive and negative punishment. So right. a positive punishment is I smack you. Uh, right. a, a negative punishment is I take away something you like. Right. Um, and to, to understand that you have to, to, I think, go deep and you have to, to really center yourself and you have, to, you have to be willing to accept truth and to accept feedback and to understand this. And, and where, again, this is this idea about how we can take our executive mind to influence our own co- – and, and this has been my, 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 my point for a long time. It's like if you want to change your behavior, you have to change your unconscious mind. Mm. Changing your conscious mind doesn't change your behavior. Mm. Right now, it may change it for a, a day. It may change it for a week, um, but it's like you've got to go in and reroute your emotional circuitry, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, for example, to take pride in something. Um, you know, you, you talked about about Tom Landry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we could talk about Kirby Smart. Yeah. Right. Same. So yeah. you know, in this day of um, you know, and you know, name, image, likeness, nil. Um, portals, you know, where where kids are making, you know, some of these kids are making hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars a year, and so it's like why well, it's much more difficult to coach in the NFL than it is in college. But where so many coaches are struggling with this, what Kirby's been able to do is to say, and I love. He said this. He said when when they come to me and they ask me a question, it, it's much better for them to hear a hard no than a soft yes. Right. You know, and like you know, will I be able to play? Will I start? Will I play quarterback? Will I play? You know, it's like no. And it's, but it's, it's this idea that, that the people who he, he's looking for aren't just the most physically gifted. They are the ones who embody uh, and embrace 
this mentality. So just like when you talk about special forces, right? You're, t you're, you're really not getting a physical type. Mm -hmm. You're getting a mental type. You're getting right. a, a person who's going to embrace that, who's going to turn that challenge and that hardship into, yeah, right? right. So it was funny when I, when, I, I, when I wrote my book and I, I kind of went from technology and then I was doing this presentation to a bunch of rural telcos and about, you know, the future. I was doing this for a, a, a company that um, supplied, you know, the gear and, and, the, mm -hmm. and the logistics for putting in these these high availability, you know, f you know the, the passive optical networks for, you know, for telecom to be able to do video and that kind of stuff. And what led to all of this was, you know, trying to find, making it interesting. And I was like, look, you're not going to re, you're not going to reteach people how to watch television. And I said, you know, you, you, what you want to do is become your customer's habit, not their choice. After that, I, uh, you know, when I started working for the consumer product companies. Yeah, they were like, look, you broke all the old customer behavior models. You've convinced us they're wrong because mm -hmm. they all had this idea of conscious decision-making. You mm -hmm. know, I'm aware that I want something that I want. Mm -hmm. You know, my thing was like, you know, it's like I don't open the refrigerator and go, hmm, should, do I want the orange juice or do I want the milk? Or, right. Yeah, right. It's like, you know, I'm halfway through a beer going, ah, I must have been thirsty. Right. right. And so, um, so I developed this model and it was uh, so really about this idea that, that our – our behavior is shaped by context, right? So, like, if you're going to go out to to dinner, like, what are the, what are the contexts that drive that? And you're, are you going with the kids? Is it a romantic thing? Are you going with friends, right? And so, so you may have gone to a restaurant and liked it, everything was fine, but you never go again, right? Because mm -hmm. it doesn't have a context for you. It doesn't allow an automaticity. This is where we're going, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, I have a habit of using open table, right? Mm -hmm. When I take my wife someplace different, that's kind of my you know, my date mentality. Right. Um, but that's a habit. That right. is a habit to right. do that, to find something new. And then you find a place you like and you start going back to that place. But there was something missing in this model. And, uh, and again, I, you know, I, I, I have this, this eclectic background. So I was pulling in the psych stuff, the neuroscience stuff. I was pulling all these things. But I was doing work with, with pharmaceutical companies. And, uh, and I was like, there's something missing. Behavior and so much, and, and, and I developed this component of it for specifically pharma, but then I discovered it applies to everything. And it's this idea of what I call a behavior belief. Mm. So, you know, I drink coffee. You know, I, I didn't start drinking coffee until I was in graduate school, so it was in my 30s. Right. And I, Me too. Yeah. So, I mean, I went from undergraduate in journalism <clears throat> to PhD Georgia Tech. You right. want to talk about, you know, jumping into the deep end of the pool right. with the sharks and the alligators. And so I was drinking soda. I was drinking, sleeping maybe four hours a night. Right. And uh, had a child, had you know, all this stuff. And uh, I was like getting fat. And I was like, oh my God. And so I started drinking coffee, right? So, but cream, sugar, right. you know, cowboy coffee, right. you know, hot chocolate, right. you know, whatever. Um, and so I'm still having a calorie issue. And then right. so I'm like, I got to lose weight. So, you know, you know stop drinking coffee. I'm mean, drinking calories in my coffee. Mm -hmm. Um. The idea that that there is this connection between the calories in my coffee and being fat, right? How do you how do you know how do you know that's doing anything, right? Mm -hmm. Versus this versus that, right? If you remember, you know, having grown up and kind of going through the food pyramid, we're taught, you know, don't eat fat, eat carbs, right? right. So that creates a behavioral belief. Right. In pharma, it's like you go in and you have um, you know high cholesterol. So what? Completely asymptomatic, mm -hmm. and the doctor says, well, I don't like that number. I don't care, right? Well, no, if you, if, you know, this will kill you. You know, mm -hmm. you need to take a stat. We're going to mm -hmm. lower that number. 
right? I don't have any symptoms. I take a statin, it makes me feel like crap, right? right. It's, I get diarrhea, my <clears throat> muscles are cramping. There's no evidence that it's working, right? Right. So compliance on statins is, right? What determines whether I, I take statins or not? Whether or not I believe that doing that thing is gonna have this outcome. Right. There's no evidence, there's no feedback, right? So I, I, when I drank coffee, it took me about two weeks to get to the point where black coffee tasted right. That's, right. that's normal now. Right. If I were to drink cream and sugar in my coffee, it would I, be weird. I now. can't either. It's like my friends who smoke cigarettes without getting into all the other stuff. I'm like, how do you, when they smoke, they make it look so good. The crackle of the tobacco. Right, absolutely. The way, the expression on their face, like, oh, they're like, God, that's got to be the greatest thing ever. And then you take a swig, which has been, or, or puff, right. whatever it is, swig, I guess, is a drink. 40 years ago for me in the military, this is ash and mud on the bottom of my shoe. This is horrific. And so never develop the right. habit. But they, I look at them sometimes. I'm like, man, I'm envious. Right. So what's so, – so getting back to this idea of these, this – I have a behavior belief. So right. I have a behavior belief that smoking is cool. Right. And then I start smoking to be cool. Right? I'm, right, I'm 13, I don't want to be treated like a child anymore, and they keep right. treating me like a child, right? right? We don't have rights of passage in this country like right. we have through, you know, for the last 100,000 years. Right. So what do I do? I do something that's adult-like. So I go out and smoke a cigarette and I'm cool. And after a little bit, you get used to that. That now tastes normal. And then you get the nicotine in your system right. and you don't have the nicotine and you get this call to have nicotine. Right. So, so this idea of, of, of adding this behavior belief into the model, I've, I found is just essential to understand anything. And we have to really get to this point where when we're trying to change behavior, we have to really understand the behavior beliefs. We have to understand the emotional component. Like if, if, if I come in to a, a company, I say, well, you know, we're going to change our accounting methodology, right? Why? Mm -hmm. I don't, it, you know, again, you know, the accounting people have to go through all this rigmarole to, to, to change, you know, how they're doing that. You know, do all of a sudden, am I making more money? Right? Am, am I, am I, you know, it, right. it's like, it's like, you know, these are the kind of things like, but you know, here's a new software. I want you to use this new software. We just bought this new software. When I was doing this, when I was the telecom futurist guy and I was going around talking to like, you know, data centers and everything right. else. And I would always go take that, you know, the, the CTO, the CIO. And I was like, you know, give me your big boot and doggles. Now they wouldn't tell you what, what they did wrong, right. but they'd tell me what they inherited. Right. And they're, and they're going like, are we talking six figure boondoggles? Or are we talking about seven figure boondoggles? Right. Right. And this one guy found $6 million of software that had been purchased and never installed. Right. Right. And everyone's got their stories. Right. Everyone's got their tales about somebody yeah. doing something. And, but you start going in and you start looking at like, what were the underlying assumptions? You know, what really was the driver behind this? How well was that communicated to the teams, right? So this idea of creating a behavior belief, if we do this, we're going to get this change. It's almost like it got to be that starting point. You know, there has to be that, that why. You know, cynics, you know, start with why. It's a great, it's right. a great TED talk. And, yeah, and, and, Simon Sinek. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and, and, it's, and it's something that, that really does get, in, you know, the idea of asking why five times to get right. root cause analysis, et cetera, et cetera. But what you're really trying to do is you're trying to get an emotional reaction that's, that's attached to this. If I don't get an emotional reaction, I'm not getting the investment. I'm not getting buy-in. I'm not getting, um, you know, I, I, I won't be remembered. Right. You know, you talked about your career and all these different things you were doing. Yeah. You 
created an emotional reaction in people. People wanted to work with you. They they liked you. You know, buying people pizza, making this happy that was place. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you have the skills. Time goes on. You have the skills. <laughs> but but this is this is again getting back to what it means to be human with an intuitive and an executive mind. Right. And the key is to simply understand how they have to work together. And if if at the starting point, you know, of, of any kind of change, you know, there is a you know, there's you know, kind of the Trotsky mo- you know, model of change, which is kind of interesting. And 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 but most, of, but the reason why most change fails is because I get into a context where my behavior is automated and I do this thing automatically, right? So if I, you know, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, um, yeah, lose weight, and I'm thinking about doing X, Y, or Z. I go to a restaurant, and they bring me bread, and I'm hungry. And the bread smells great, and there's mm-hmm. butter, and I just, you know, and I've eaten like. 300 calories before my meal comes. And I think I'm making a good meal choice, but right. you know, what do I really know about what's good for me? What's, what's I read something, uh, one of these fasting books I was looking at, and I fasted a couple of years ago and I lost 40 pounds and I was like, I'm really mad that I stopped. Right. You know, gained about 20, 20 pounds back and I'm like, oh, I'm, really gonna, I'm really gonna make this lifestyle change. Right. And, um, and what's weird is, again, it's a behavioral belief. And there was one of the, the, the most amazing things uh, one of these videos, podcasts I watch, and this doctor, MD, was talking about this. He goes, think about this. You always go to the refrigerator first, and if there's nothing in the fridge, then you go to the freezer, right? Mm-hmm. Your stomach's the fridge. Mm-hmm. Your fat's the freezer. Mm-hmm. So when there's nothing in the fridge, your body happily burns fat. Mm-hmm. doesn't care. Mm-hmm. When you're hungry, it's not like you're going to be hungry until you eat food. Mm-hmm. You're going to be hungry until your body switches over to burning fat. Mm. And then it's going to happily burn fat and you won't be hungry. Mm. And that, that, I was like, wow, that's like, so that's a behavioral belief that I got, oh, well, I'm hungry. Now I'm interpreting the feedback differently, right? It's like taking vitamins. There's no evidence they work, right? There's no feeling that they work, right? But we have a mental model in your head that says, well, maybe I'm missing some nutrient. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. missing something that I need. And so if I take this and, and so, you know, Everyone around you get sick, you don't get sick. You go, oh, I took vitamins. But then just like, well, I got sick, but I would have been sicker if I hadn't taken them. It's kind of like what they tell you about the vaccines now. Well, you would have been sicker had you, well, how, right. right? It's counterfactual. How do I, there's no way to know this. Yeah. And so this idea about these behavioral beliefs are such a component of culture. They're such a component of the disciplines of a corporation or an industry. And this is, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the Boeing, mm-hmm. um, you know, debacle. Of you know of of what is that behavioral belief you know and and I, I've always kind of said that that behind every great disaster is you know somebody with an, an MBA looking at a spreadsheet mm. you know they think that spreadsheet true I can make this change here and look how much money we save mm-hmm. well but all my customers left mm-hmm. I'm gonna make this change here look how much money I save and the bridge falls down right right so it's it's really about understanding like. Like, how do I build these behavior beliefs? How do I get this to, to, to really be understand? That's going to interpret how I feel when I do something, right? So like turn the other cheek, right? What a counterintuitive idea. Right. And yet, you know, to think through, you know, like why, right? right. Why, why, why am I doing this? Why am I not doing, you know, that? Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with when we created the food pyramid, which was based on, you know, the worst ideas ever. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we, you know, there's books have been written about this right. that, you know, uh, um, why we get fat's a great book. And, mm-hmm. and um, but it, 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 it's important to understand that, that when we think about like science, I mean, science is completely corrupted. I, I wrote this paper when I was, you know, getting my PhD. I said, look, we have so much bias built into the system. You know, 
I have to get a dissertation passed to get my, my doctorate. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm designing the experiment. I'm collecting the data. I'm analyzing the data. I'm presenting the data. I think there's a little bias here. Right. I think there's a little indication that- So I'm let me ask you this. How do we then, how do we leverage technology to, like for example, I, um, one of the things that my doctor, who I do love and have been with for a number of years, I finally went to a concierge physician. If nice. you can afford mm -hmm. it, I highly recommend it. So I have a bunch of neurological weird stuff. You fall out of your airplane or helicopter enough times and it does, you know, <laughs> no complaints. It just is a consequence. And, you know, I'm a, not, I'm a great dirt bike rider. I'm not a very good dirt bike r racer and I've greeted the ground way too many times. But so I use technology to help me get have the best opportunity to change behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to leverage tech to help me change my behavior. Right. So do I you think, think that's the I, anomaly or do you think that's Well, okay. So so let's so there's so many there there are a lot of really good ideas here. And, and like one is is this idea of to bring something to conscious awareness. So like you're you're you know, we're aware our, our brain is processing temperature. Well, you know, we're, we have to be homeostatic, right? right? We have to keep a lot of things and we are only aware of the temperature when it's hot or cold, right. right? Consciously aware. So what you're talking about is this idea of using the technology to make you consciously aware of something that, again, your a sedentary lifestyle is completely, um, you know, unnatural. Right. Sitting in a chair is unnatural. You know, right. we are not designed to sit in chairs. Right. Um, the other part of it, though, and what I would encourage you to really recognize is that that you have to. To make these changes, you're really trying to change what you do automatically. You're trying to change what feels right to you. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about like going to 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 bed with food in your stomach, see when you're fasting, you love sleeping because right. that's eight hours or seven hours. Right. Or in my case, five and a half hours right. of I'm not eating. Yeah, right. that's you know that's like I'm almost I'm cheating right because right? right. I'm not eating. Um, and so to to not eat like the four hours before. And then not to eat till afternoon. Like to me, that's nothing. That's right. the easiest thing in the world. Now I'm just like I, I can get to about forty hours, and it's like. But if I eat something, then I start eating. It unleashes, and not because I'm hungry. Right. So what you're doing is is to really get in to really think about this. Like, how do I use the technology to change my my you know, getting back to the training to, uh, to change my intuitive mind about what feels right. Because the reason why diets fail is because you feel deprived. You feel like you're not doing, you know, what you should be doing. Right. And, and that's, you know, and again, this is my alcohol drug stuff. I mean, you know, when you, when you become addicted and your, your, your spouse comes in and says, you really need to stop drinking. Well, you know, I don't see the alcohol the problem. I see you as the problem, right? right. The alcohol is the solution because my brain has gotten infected with this, um, you know, weird set of of neural. Uh, well, I, I mean, it, it's, it's a, infected reality. It's yeah. a, right. It's a yeah. wrong reality. Yeah, I mean, it changes your. It, well, yeah. Well, we'll get into all the <laughs> right. all, all the science behind that stuff. But this this idea about you know creating. You know, a behavioral beliefs that are are going to create a healthy lifestyle, mm -hmm. right? And so you know, you're talking about the person who doesn't want to drive from Iowa to Virginia to mm -hmm. do this thing. I mean, the the thing about it is when we start looking at, at at not just us, you know, 
um, you know, people who have, you know, experienced all this stuff and then, you know, people of our age who, you know, and again, you know, we've had um, unbelievable experience compared to what my, I mean, I remember my father went to Europe with his company and it was like, he came, came back with all the slides and the neighbors came over <laughs> and watched the slides, right? right? I come back from, you know, two weeks in Malaysia and like people go, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, here's some, here's my, right. Put it on Instagram. Yeah. Right. And so, <laughs> but, but to think about like, you know, like a concept of our young people, like fat shaming, right? Right. Well, you're really unhealthy. Oh, that's fat shaming. Right. Well, I mean, you're you're 19 years old. You should be at your peak right. of your attractiveness and your right. physicality and your and all these other kind of things. And and it's kind of like they've created a behavioral belief that says none of that should matter. Right. And you kind of when we really take this apart and really and really kind of get into this, you know, into the nubbins of it, right? It's like really, you know, this idea of, you know, the 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 mother and the father, right? The mother is kind of more the unconditional love and the father is the conditional love. And it's that combination, like, okay, if I screw up, I'm still loved. But if I screw up, my dad's disappointed in me. Right. If I do something really well, my mother doesn't love me anymore, but my right. dad's really proud of me, right. right? And again, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be dad, mom, right. but it has to be that dynamic, right. right? It has to be like, I need to feel like I need to get out and conquer the world. So you're talking about like your daughters didn't drive at 18. I was talking to a, a woman uh, last night at- And uh, I would say almost none of their friends until they were 18, 19 right. years old. It's this strangest phenomenon. Well, yeah, you're talking about the trigonometry thing with right. uh, Constantine Well. You know his, yeah. you know the the other the other gentleman whose name I for some I don't right. know why I'm not, I'm not remembering. I remember he's from Argentina. That's all I remember, or yeah, something but, like that. Or his family yeah. is. But um, yeah. yeah, he's talking about to learn how to drive at forty. Yeah, he's just getting ready to do that now. Yeah, and so, but but this idea that, um, you know, we thought about going out and adventuring and doing things, and you know we have this risk averse. Group of people, and I see. To me, this is the that 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 imbalance between the feminine and the masculine, right? Mm -hmm. That that combination of risk averse with safety. You know, this this idea of like what the world is like, and you know, this country was settled by people who were. Um, you know, pioneers who were adventurers right. who would go out and you know, and and what's what's over that hill? What's over that right. that horizon? Uh, people still come from all over the world, and it's kind of like this is where I can build something. This is where I can you know develop right. something. I was talking to this woman last night um, who's from Spain, and we're kind of she was she had a book about education. We're talking. She's a teacher. Da 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 da. And I was kind of boys and girls, and mm -hmm. you know, kind of went down this road. But she goes, she goes, yeah. But she's like in Spain, it it's. It's, she said, like, you'll see this guy's like very macho, but he's like living with his mom at 35. Right. And so her perception of America is the exact opposite. Oh my God, you guys are so independent. You're so doing it. So, so we see these, these, you know, this, this perspective on these factors and, 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 and this idea of, you know, how are we going to solve these problems, right? Of technology. And, you know, we think about solving these problems with technology. Well, mm -hmm. I've got to get people out there doing stuff. I got to get out, I, I got, I got to get people who are actually physically involved in the world mm -hmm. and, and not just, um, behind a computer screen, right. you know, and just... Well, I don't want to do it at all expense. Like, none of us... You didn't ride your horse here, no. right? We, 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 I oh. want to leverage the tools around us, you know, the, the advances in plastics, the advances in energy, the advances in connectivity, not to enable us, which is a trap that I followed in, to be right. um, more static, to sit in this exactly. chair, exactly. to do these other things, because... Um, there is a difference between aging and decaying, and we are decaying as a species, at least in the West, um, emotionally, mentally, physically, 
very unnaturally. You see right. societies around the world where they are radically healthier into their 80s. Right. And then they um, their body says, okay, well, this is the t- whatever their natural path is, this is the time. And it's it's not a 20-year lingering thing. And I'm I'm um, not exaggerating to make a point, but I am so radically oversimplifying. And we see where when technology comes into any country, Western technology, Western diet, Western whatever, where the philosophy is sort of this herd thing, health drops drastically, right? And, right? and our emotional stability drops dramatically. So I don't want to enable that, right? but I want to help. I want to leverage the things that we're learning, both about ourselves physiologically and the tools that we have so that I can have the best chance of breaking, you know, re- what do they call it? Re- reaching gravitational orbit or break gravity, right? Orbit velocity or uh, whatever I'm trying Escape to say. Escape velocity. Escape velocity. Thank you. <laughs> Too many <laughs> metaphors bouncing around in my head. But I, I want to be able to to some degree, break these habits, not just get more cognitive information off of a podcast or a conversation or whatever, but that I can leverage these things to, I need this to be my Tom Landry. Well, and I think that that's, that that's, you know, we're coming up with a lot, a lot of interesting points, but, you know, to think about, about the addictive quality of this, right? Mm -hmm. So, so why, why do I get addicted? Because, you know, I do something, there's an immediate feedback that's reinforcing, right? So, you know, if I, if I take a little bit of caffeine, right? You know, if I feel a little perky, then I go, oh, I'm associating perky, you know, get a little with, with, with a cup of coffee. Um, if, if I, if I'm watching a uh, TikTok video, I mean, this stuff is like, you know, you have, you know, 10 million people making TikTok videos, like a fraction of 1% of the ones that are that are successfully going through the human algorithm of, right. you know, what, what gets forwarded, what gets – and same thing with, with Twitter and everything else. I mean, the vast majority of content is, you know, is produced professionally and then, you know, a handful of that gets 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 viral. Um, and everyone's trying to get viral, right? And everyone's trying right. to be an influencer and everybody's right. – so when we're thinking about, about the downside of the technology and I, that's why I just keep coming back to, to what is it – to having being human as our central concept. Mm-hmm. So you think about like how much technology has been invented um, so we don't have to hire um, low-level workers, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what if instead I was using that technology to empower low-level workers? Mm-hmm. The idea is that, that with all of these <coughs> things, all I've, all I've ever really said about, you know, I'm a, you know I, I want self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, you know, materials um, advances to, to be able to, you know, engineer things at the nanoscale. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm all I'm I'm all for this stuff. But but we're not looking at and again, the same thing with our diet and the same thing with a lot of these things. We're not looking at at, at you know what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. That what shapes us is this behavioral belief system that we have about what we're supposed to do. And like getting an education, there's no immediate feedback that that's helpful, mm-hmm. right? I can look at somebody who got a college degree and I can see what that was like 20 years ago. But if I get a, you know, a general studies degree, right? If I get a, you know, a gender studies degree or a, you know, what, what am I learning to do? What am I going to, what's the, it was funny. I, when I was looking at graduate school and I, I you know, kind of checked the little box on the, on the, you know, the GRE or GMAT, whatever I took. Mm-hmm. And I and I got this this letter from the Kennedy School of Government, you know, seeing if I would be interested in applying for a, a, a doctoral degree from there. And I was like, what the heck would I do with a degree in government? Right. It's right. like it was like such a bizarre thought. I couldn't uh. even wrap my brain around like what would what would you do with such a thing, right? Because right. you know, I'm, I'm I live in kind of the normal world where you have a job and people pay you to do something. Right. Um, 
And and so all of these things are really about this idea that that we have, I think, over-prioritized the rational part of the mind without really understanding. And this is what what, what the last 30 years in psychology, neuroscience, and all these other things have really revolutionized is, is this is this understanding that that this this part of the brain that we always kind of thought of as the secondary to the to the executive mind is actually doing the, the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. It's doing most of the work. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about this idea that something feels right, I mean it's like like you know this car feels right, this job feels right, this this interview with this guy. There's something off about this guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's this. Not that you should just automatically trust that because you might have a bias, right? right? And that's why I think a lot of things that you're talking about with the technology is it can bring something to your conscious awareness that you weren't aware of. Oh, this part of my behavior is really what's hurting me. And and I'm all for that. I think that that's, that's, that's brilliant. And that's what well, we Well, we've all had do. the experience of trusting our intuition. And then three years later, we look at that picture on the wall and say, and I thought that was a good haircut. Right. I thought those label, you know, those right. lapels were good. Right. Probably not. Well, but that gets back into our herd mentality, right? right? We were following what the crowd, I mean, I, I grew up in the 70s where, when we lost all sense of style. So <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I mean, I saw it happen in real time. Right. Um, but it, it, there is this, this idea, I think, that, that we just need to understand how to implement the technology with our deeper human goals. Mm-hmm. I used to track the amount of information created every year, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at, you'll look at it as like, like, like all of human history, right. all of human history, and then the 1900s, <clears throat> and then they started doing this, right. and then the internet, you know, I mean, if I, you know, I, I got just the, the regular, I, I switched from, a, from my Samsung back to an iPhone, yeah. and, uh, you know, they're trying to sell me the, the, the pro version, and I'm like, oh yeah, it takes a 46 megapixel I said, what the heck do I need a 46 megapixel right. picture for, right? right? I mean, I didn't need anything new on the phone for probably eight years. Right. Um, but that much information <clears throat> is, is what we're having to deal with now. I mean, you think about from the data side, you think about you know, servers and, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah to, you right. all that data. I'll back up your data <laughs> uh, for, you know. Uh, you know, a modest, a, a fee. modest fee, a modest monthly fee. Uh, I have everybody trying. You know, it's like I, have, you know, Amazon and Google and Apple. Everybody right. wants to back up my data. Um, but you really begin to see this idea about about becoming overwhelming with our ability to handle it, to handle the information. And it gets us back to this whole idea to think about, you know, what what do I have to do as a human being? You know, as a doctor, as a as a you know business owner, whatever to really be able to start working with this next generation of uh, AI. I mean, I there's a lot of talk now about, you know, the AI art, the AI mm-hmm. writing programs that are, you know, able to mimic <clears throat> styles yeah. and, and, you know, everyone's kind of going like, yeah. you know, I didn't think my job was threatened, but, right. you know, I thought, I thought, thought, you know, I thought, yes, we're getting rid of these low-level jobs. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm we, a creator. We have somebody from tech coming on. Um, we just did a podcast about... Uh, Chat GPT and yeah. um, Dolly and some of these other tools. And my premise to him was, well, so if I'm a, if I have a lexicon of Shakespeare and I could speak into these tools that can interpret my language and then code, I guess then the English lit or the whatever language that you speak is, they're going to be the masters of the world. And he, he's a really, really brilliant guy. He's a computer scientist and head of um, 
music theory and some other things at tech. He's like, no, I completely disagree. So it'll be a fun, interesting conversation. But it is, it's a conversation conversation that's being had. How, on the one hand, it opens doors for people that don't necessarily know how to code. And so they're able to write music theory and do these other things and it, how it feels, what their intuition is and the, the tools interpret it and to make something. It's amazing. On the other hand, what's the unintended consequence of that? And so anyway, those are the kinds right, of conversations right. and, that I love. And, yeah. And so, and so all I'm trying to get at is that we really need to understand that when I say about being human, it really is about this, this understanding that you know, we are driven by emotion. If we do not have an emotional connection, uh, we won't remember it. It won't be important to us. That's how our body says, remember this. I mean, if you look at the, you know, the, you know, where the amygdala is, which is where we're processing strong emotions, it's right at the end of the part of your brain, um, the hippocampus, which is processing memory. Mm -hmm. And so to think about emotion, it's a tag. This is important. Remember this, right? You were in the military, you hear something, this is so important, it could kill you, right? right. You're walking down the street, dog comes out, you're barking, right. right? Everything about that is gonna be associated with fear right. for the foreseeable future. Right. Um, and that's a survival mechanism. Uh, but the same thing with joy and the same thing with love and the same thing with, you know, with, with all of these emotions, it's, it's, it's this brain that's processing so much information outside of our awareness that's saying this is important. And when you come to work and when you create a workspace that, you know, that feels good, right? You know, compared to, well, what's the 401k look like? Mm -hmm. You know, what's, you know, you know, what's my retirement benefit like? You know, what's, you know, that, that feel is kind of what, what is really that driver. But the flip side of that is I don't want some, somebody so comfortable they're not they're not working hard. Mm -hmm. I don't want somebody so uncomfortable. They're not taking chances. They're mm -hmm. not. They're not really, um, you know, having a sense of urgency about what we need to do mm -hmm. uh, as an organization to accomplish these goals. Mm -hmm. And if instead, if I'm saying you come here, we will train you to be able to go out there and do those things. I think that's that's why people go into special forces. I think that's why you know Kirby Smarts. You know, sitting on top of two national championships. Two-time national champion, Kirby Smart. Right, because he is getting not just these guys who are physically gifted, which is what everybody, oh, all these five stars and four right. stars. He was led by a three-star quarterback, and the number two receiver was a three-star, um, you know, receiver. Um, their five-star receiver, Pickens, was, you know, injured for almost all of his career at Georgia. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic receiver, right? Mm -hmm. But he wasn't on the field. Mm -hmm. But... But to think about, regardless of what we're doing, how does, how does this technology make all of me better? Not just this one part of me better. Mm -hmm. And again, if it's something that, well, it's, you know, I'm, I'm distracted, I'm entertained, but I'm sedentary, mm -hmm. you know, or, or um, you know, this is just making me worry about my finances. I'm not really changing anything. It's making me miserable. Right. And, but to really kind of get into this, into this at this bigger point, like how do I have this, this really fulfilled life? And this life worth living. How do I, you know, how do I make my contributions to the world? And that's where I think, you know, the ability of technology is incredible. I mean, I, I started my own company in 1999, so I've been working on my, you know, I've been working in my house for since, you know, since then. I was, you know, way right. ahead of this curve. Right. Uh, but you know, not driving in Atlanta traffic improved my quality of life by about 40 percent. Yeah. Right. Not having to feel like I'm wasting two hours a day on the road. Right. Huge. Right, but if I don't have human interactions with people, if I can't get on an airplane, if I can't go see you, if I can't present in front of you, if I can't talk to you, if I can't see your your physical space, right. I don't understand it. I mean, companies spend a lot of money to send me to 
everywhere in the world to go in and to, to, to look at that situation. Unless I'm walking with this woman, you know, in this little town in, in Turkey mm-hmm. and see how far she's got to carry her bottles of soda mm-hmm. from the store in this plastic bag. She doesn't have a car. She's not, you know, wheeling it to a car and taking it to a house and getting in an elevator. She's walking three blocks and going up three flights of stairs and she's carrying she buys what she can carry, mm-hmm. right? And to understand all of that stuff, I don't understand. Yeah. Well, we're made to be in community in, in every way, right? We learn, we get educated sitting in rows. I think we train in circles. Like we, whether it's a... That's a great, that's a great... A lab a great at chemistry. It's a... Um, uh, a Bible study group, it's a whatever, you know, you, you sit there and you get lectured right. at in a TED talk or in a whatever. And it's interesting. And, it, and there's tidbits in there that resonate. But it's when you take those chemistry vials, it's when you're, you're underneath the car in auto shop, it's, you know, whatever, you're doing your, th- the thing, you're moving and you're, you're getting tactile. Well, that's when two things. One, you actually train and you do it, but you're also building community when you do it with other people. You're in it together. And um, I think that is the best opportunity for humans to flourish is that when we're in there, you also learn the person to your left and to your right. And so it's it's in that messy mix that... Um, uh, separate from technology, as much as I love technology, separate from it. That's not my caricature of a people. This person to my left or to my right or across from me is the people. I think that gives us the best opportunities to have a healthy community and a healthy life for ourselves. Well, I think, and just to kind of, you know, to riff on that one small part, is you back in the early days? So I was talking on futurist guy, and I was talking about being able to do this work at home, <clears throat> you know, distance education, you know, having an Indian doctor read your mm-hmm. your X-rays in the middle of the night, right? Mm-hmm. You know, being able to you know, like 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 once I take the friction out of the network. Um, but one of the things that that in the early days, what we really discovered is I can't create a relationship online, but I can maintain a relationship yeah. online. Yeah, I would agree with that. I have to meet the person. I have to spend time with them. And again, if you right. deal, you know, if you go into South America and work with people, it's like they've got to know you. You've got to have right. dinner with them. You got to meet the family. You got to, right. and and there's a wisdom to that, right? Right? Because you know, how do I really know I can trust you? Right. You know, and in our culture, we have a, a, a tremendous amount of automatic trust. I mean, right. it's a, it's ama- I mean, it's amazing. Right. How we'll trust I heard somebody them. from Russia say that. I've actually heard two or three people. One to me, uh, either that grew up there and moved here or some whatever. They were like, one of the biggest difference, I remember asking, what's the biggest difference between where you grew up in Russia? We we're talking about Ukraine, Russia. And they said, that part of the world in America, there's this instant trust. And he didn't, he, he almost meant it, he wasn't being unkind. He's like, almost in a naive way. Right. Like you're, you're very, 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 very trusting. We do not, it is just not our culture, at least his family's culture and where he grew right. up in Absolutely. Russia. He's like, this is not our nature, which is then people misunderstand and think we are a cold-hearted people and we're not, right. absolutely not. We love us passionately. We're very right. involved. We love our country. We love these things. But we don't start off with a, hey, how do we find reasons to welcome you in? We start right. off with, hold on, this is a protected space. 
let's see if you're worthy of getting in here. It may take a while. Well, and 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 that's and, and that's I think you know where where we have to really understand you know kind of where we're heading, because like people talk about the metaverse. Because the idea that I'm just going to be, I am. I, all I need yeah. is the all I need is the mind. Right. I don't need the body. Oh no, the body's just just you know carrying the brain around. That's the job of the body. Right. And again, that's why I want to go back to Damasio right. because it really is no, right. no. It is the brain and the body are so intricately linked, yeah. and that if you are not physically moving. If you're not physically interacting, you are starving the brain of the inputs it needs. And this is something where, you know, all the sci-fi, I, mean, I was a huge sci-fi guy. I mean, I've right. written sci-fi. I love sci-fi. Right. Uh, the Expanse, the best right. sci-fi show ever. Right. Um, but it's it's important to understand that, that you know, the, the, the vision of the future that we have, I mean, so often it, it is, it's dystopian because we're disconnecting from what makes us human. Yeah. And that's the part that uh, I think that we have to be careful with this technology, that if this takes me, I mean, to watch, you know, kids together with their faces in their phone and they're not together. Right. Right. This is a pale imitation of this. Right. It's supposed to be an enhancer, not a, a replacer. Well, we have talked for a long time. Yes. And knowing you and I, um, I'm amazed that our bladders have not driven us out <laughs> of the studio. Um, so we're going to wrap it up here. Um, people want to learn more about you, find out more information, check out your books. Where can they do that at? Uh, they can do, go to neilmartin.com okay. uh, or sublimebehavior.com. Okay. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of the advantages of my my mother giving me this funky spelling for Neil, N-E-A-L-E, <laughs> is that you find me really easy. Yeah. And one of the most amazing things is according to Google, I'm a bookstore. Wow. So I'm getting phone calls every week from people who Google when they're – in the right. Marietta City area, bookstore near me. And right. I show up as the number one choice with a five-star rating. Wow. I don't know why, but it has my has my home address and it has my phone number, right. <laughs> my cell phone, which is hysterical. <laughs> well, Neil, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, I appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. And man, we'll, we'll have to have you on again. There are two or three areas here that we, I'm sure we could spend another couple hours on and have a lot of fun. It is a revolutionary idea about how the brain works. I'm working right. now with very large companies and how do, how do we create behavior change organizationally and then behavior change with customers. Right. Well, I know just from my own personal science experiment of asking people this question, what do you think is more powerful in your personal case, an emotional decision or a logical decision? Um, which one carries more weight and is actually going to last? Almost without exception, we say logical. And yet, when you point it out the way that you do, um, it's just not true. It does not stand up to. Uh, and I can't. I have yet to have a case, an honest um, uh, review of the facts in our own personal lives. So it's. Uh, um, it just shows you just the the disconnect between what we think is happening and what is actually happening. And if we want to make a change or maintain something that's working. Um, where we should invest our time and effort. So thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. My great pleasure. And if you've thanks. enjoyed the conversation, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.